There is no doubt in my mind that the Apostle Paul was one of the most um, helpful, sincere, passionate, and greatest servants of Christ who ever lived. Never in the history of mankind has there been somebody who would take the gospel to more places and, and, and written more books of the Bible than the Apostle Paul. One of the things I love most about Paul was that he wanted to end well. In other words, he wasn't interested in just how he started this race. He wasn't just interested in how Christ, when he first came to faith in him, but rather he wanted to finish with the same sincerity and the same faithfulness, even at the end of his life. And of course, we know through reading the scriptures, like the one that we just read, he did that very thing. Now, many of us who are here, we're, most of us are old enough to have seen people who have started the Christian life well, but unfortunately did not finish well. It's sad to be able to hear stories like pastors that were faithful for three generations, three decades. They preached the word and led the church so faithfully only to find out that at the end of their ministry, they were disqualified because of some moral failure. Or we hear about a mom or a dad or a husband or wife where they're faithful to lead their family and love their family and they serve their families for 20 years. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they just walk out the door and abandon everything that they had been living and doing for the last 20 years. They just leave their family. It's so hard to hear stories like that. And whenever we do, you and I are usually so shocked. We, we can't imagine this happening. And a large reason is, is because we could see what was happening on the outside. That is, we saw what appeared to be faithful service, but we couldn't see what was going on in the heart on the inside. But this morning, we want to look at a woman by the name of Martha who began well, but didn't finish well, at least in a short period of time. And in looking at this story, what we want to find out is we want to find out what causes it. What causes a person to be so sincere in their service of Jesus Christ, and then over a period of time begin to fall away? And then what we want to find out is how do we keep it from happening? Well, I think the passage teaches us that. There's three things that we're going to look at this morning as a way of kind of an outline. Uh, the first is we see a great beginning. Then we're going to take a look at a lousy ending. And then third, we're going to look at a key to finishing well. So let's look at the beginning in verse 38. The Bible says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listed, uh, and listened to his teaching. Now i got to tell you, I have always felt bad for Martha in this story. I just feel like throughout church history, she's really kind of received the, uh, a raw deal. Uh, we, we read a story like this, and we're thinking to ourselves, Mary good, Martha bad. And the, and the reason for that is when you read it, Jesus does, in fact, he, admonish, or he, he, he actually praises Mary, and he actually rebukes, even though a mild rebuke, he rebukes Martha. And so when we get to the end, a pastor usually tells you, look, be more like Mary and not like Martha. But I don't think that's right. I think certainly Mary ought to be praised. I think she ought to be, ought to be recognized, especially for her great, deep affection for Christ. Have you ever noticed with Mary, whenever you read about her in the New Testament, she's always at the feet of Jesus? 
always. Here we see her at the feet of Jesus in Luke chapter 10. She's just trying to take in the word of the, the words of Jesus Christ. She's just worshiping him and meditating on what he's saying at his feet. And then we look over to John chapter 12 and verse 32. And, and there we find her at, G, at Jesus' feet bringing her sorrows to Jesus because of the loss of her brother Lazarus. And then just one chapter later in John chapter 12, again at the feet of Jesus, this time breaking a very expensive bottle of and anointing his feet with it. When we look at her, she teaches us something about how, what type of affections and worship and love that we should have for Jesus Christ. And it encourages us. She ought to be commended. But we also ought to commend and admire Martha as well. Here we know that Martha was a servant. At least that's how she's portrayed here. It seems like that's the way that she's bent. She likes to do things for people. But please understand, even though we boo her in a way in this passage, which I don't think is correct, I think she should be praised because Jesus loved her. When we read in John chapter 11, verse 5, it says that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And so he loved them equally. It's interesting that, again, whenever we see Jesus traveling in and around Jerusalem, when he's there uh, for, to be able to uh, take part in the festivities and the feast, we always find him oftentimes stopping in the house of Martha and Mary and Lazarus in the city of Bethany. And you have to wonder, is the reason why he stays there is because the service is so great, right? Oh, you got to go there, man. They'll really treat you right. And I don't know if that's the case, but maybe it's true. Maybe that's why he wanted to stay with them, at least in part. Well, what we find here is that he loved her and he cared for her and, and, and he loved to spend time with her. But at the same exact time, we see that she does some really good things, even in this text. She's the one who initiates Christ to come into the home. She's the one. It was her idea for Jesus to be able to come. And when he was the house, she's the one that decided, hey, we need to cook for him and try to meet all of his needs. And any ladies in here, I mean, I, I, my hat's off to you. I don't have a hat, but you know what I mean. In, in the fact that whenever you host people, that's an amazing thing. There's a lot of work and energy and stress that goes into it. Right, especially nowadays, you want to invite somebody over, you have to clean the house, which means for the first time in months, you clean the floorboards to make people think you're, you're not disgusting. And so you clean everything, and then you have to pick out something to eat. And that's hard because everybody's allergic to air and water. So what can you possibly fix that people can now eat? And then you try to buy everything and you get it together. And the timing has to be just right. You don't want them to show up too early, but then they get they're not too late. You want to be able to serve the meal and you want them to enjoy themselves. And then afterwards, there's the cleaning up. The point is, it's an act of service. It's an act of love. She ought to be commended for these good things. In fact, she was doing what the very Bible had commanded her to do. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses 9 through 10, it tells us, Hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So should we admire Mary? Absolutely. She teaches us what it looks like to truly be affectionately in love with Jesus Christ. But should we also admire Martha? Yes, because she shows what it looks like for us to use our whole lives in service to Jesus Christ. We have to make sure from the very get-go that this story is not about what is better for you to do, to, to worship him or to work with him. It's not, it's not a battle between worshiping and working. It's not about all. If we go there, then we're going to miss it. What we need to understand is both is necessary for a balanced Christian life. 
There must be both the serving of Jesus Christ and the worshiping of Jesus Christ. And I think that's the point because what we find is Mary actually was able to serve. It says, it says there in, excuse me, in verse 40, it says her sister has left me, meaning that she was serving in the kitchen with her at one time, but she knew there was a time to stop serving and start, start worshiping. So it's not one against the other. It's not if, or it's not uh, one or the other. It's a both and. That's the life that Christ wants us to live. That's a great beginning. But now notice we also see a lousy ending. Something happens sometimes when we are very busy serving the Lord. We begin with the greatest of intentions to want to honor him and to glorify him. Sometimes things go bad, and what happens is, without us even knowing it, our heart begins to draw away from God in the midst of that serving instead of drawing closer to him. This is what happens to Mary in this passage. In fact, we read right here in verse 4, we read right here that, or excuse me, Philip Riken in his commentary of the book of Luke, excellent commentary, he actually points out the process by good serving to bad serving, and there's three steps in it. The first, he says, it often begins with being distracted. Verse 40, look at this. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, the word distracted literally means to be drawn away or pulled away from something else. So understand, she had the intention of glorifying Jesus through her service. That's what she wanted to do. But she was distracted, so she was drawn away, and she ended up doing something completely different. Beloved, understand that you and I, are most vulnerable when we are serving Christ. The more we're serving him, the more energies, the more efforts we're putting in it, the more vulnerable we become. Now, this is not for you and I to say, well, I don't want to be vulnerable, so no more serving. No, that's not what the point is. If we don't serve, if we don't use the gifts and abilities that God has given us to serve Christ and each other, then we're not being obedient to the clear commands of God. So what, what do we find here? We're, we're, why are we vulnerable I think this is why, I think because in the process of serving, we often think that we are good with God because we are doing good things for God. We're, with, we're good with God. Everything's good between us, God, because look at all the things that I'm ultimately serving you. And what we don't understand is but in the midst of all of our serving, our hearts and our minds begin to draw away from him and now we're in him at all. And so this can happen so subtly. It can, it, can happen, it can happen over a long period of time of serving, or it can happen in a very short period of time, even during the time that it takes to be able to fix a meal. And so we find that this, this, this kind of drawing away begins by being distracted, but then it leads to self-pity. In other words, our serving is no longer Christ-centered. It becomes me-centered. It becomes self-centered. And so what we find is we begin to sulk, and we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. Have you ever done that? I mean, we can identify with Martha, right? I mean, if we read this in any other context other than the word of God, that Martha would call somebody and go, you're not gonna believe this, what's happening? My sister, I am working my fingers to the bone and she is sitting there on her, her, her back, excuse me, I, I didn't think through this. Uh, she is sitting down on the floor before Jesus, don't stray from the notes, right? And so she's sitting there and she's doing absolutely nothing. And we would all be like, oh, how dare her? How dare her? We would be so enraged. And this is what's beginning to happen for her. She's beginning to feel bad about herself. She's beginning to feel as though she's all alone. You can hear it in her words. Listen to her words. She said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? 
Beloved, when your service and my service is no longer about Jesus, but it begins to become about us, that's when what we once did in joy, now begins, we begin to do grudgingly. Do you know the difference between the two? You know the difference between doing something and working, getting the opportunity to serve. Now, I'm not talking about just at church. I'm talking about in our homes as well. When we did things for our spouse and for our kids and for each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, and even for those who were lost, and we were, we, were, we were energized by that serving, and all of a sudden it begins to turn bad. It begins to turn hard, which, was, which invigorated us at one time, now begins to weigh us down by the neck. And often, as we chalk it up to, we're just too busy. We just have too many things going on. I've just got too much stuff. I, I, I need to either back, back off of this business or I need to stop doing it altogether. But the truth is, usually at the end of the day, what you find is it really isn't about the work. It's about the mind and the heart drifting away from the Lord and becoming about you and not about him. That's the difference between the two. And, and we quickly are able to uh, recognize it and identify it because we, our feelings are easily hurt. We continue to feel unappreciated. Uh, our patience begins to wear thin and we wonder how much longer we can continue to serve or how long we can continue to do this. Again, both in the home and in the house of God. Well, this distraction ultimately leads to self-pity and then self-pity finally ends up in resentment. You see that here. You see, Martha, it's interesting. He be she begins by being resentful to her own sister, one that she should love. And we see it, one author writes it this way, or describes it this way. He says, this attitude is common in the church, especially among people who think that they are working hard in Christian ministry. We assume that others should have the same priority that we have. And we look uh, disapprovingly on their lack of commitment. Why isn't anyone volunteering to help? Why aren't more people supporting this ministry? Why don't people notice what I'm doing? Whether we are involved in children's ministry or adult discipleship or mercy ministry or missionary work from a Christian service, we resent it when people do not make our ministry their priority. Isn't it crazy that we can end up, if our heart is not right, if we begin to stray, that all of a sudden the very people we set out to serve, we now despise. We now ultimately resent. Again, it can happen in the home. It can happen in the church. But what is more grievous about this is that it's not just her resenting of her sister, but rather of her resenting her Christ, her Lord, her Savior, Jesus. Uh, her, Martha's uh, words to him is, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care for me? Do you not care what's ultimately going on? Don't you see that I'm struggling here? Do you see how quickly she's spiraling down? Which is so crazy is in the beginning, she starts with all the right motivations, serving God, just trying, to, just trying to do something out of an act of worship. And very, very quickly, she begins to demand that Jesus serve her. She says here, she says, tell her to help me. How do we get to that point? It's a scary place to ultimately be. How far uh, Martha had ultimately fallen here. And the interesting thing is, is right now she feels abandoned by Christ. Have you ever heard somebody, they feel like they're abandoned? They, be, they begin to say, look, I've done all of these things and now Jesus has, has left me alone. We're not as bold as to condemn or indict Jesus for not helping us or instructing him exactly what he needs to do. But we do feel, and sometimes we will say, I don't understand why God's not helping me in the midst of this. And we feel a million miles away from him. If you feel a million miles away from him, let me, let me assure you, Jesus Christ did not move. 
The Bible says he is with you always, even to the ends of the earth. He's never going to leave. So if you feel a million miles away from God, like Martha did, guess who moved? You did. And oftentimes it's this slow move of serving of God, becoming distracted, beginning to feel this essence of self-pity, then being resentful, not not only to everyone, but to Christ included. Now, what we see here is we see a key to finishing well. This is a problem. And it's a problem that's happened in my life way too many times and probably happened in your life way too many times. Again, not only in the church, but also in our service in other places, including the church. So what do we do? What's the answer to keep us from doing that? Well, Jesus, I believe, gives the answer beginning in verse 41. He says, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Now, what's interesting is Jesus says one thing is necessary. It's like telling somebody, hey, you're doing a lot of things, but let me give you the secret of life. You need to do that one thing, and then he doesn't tell us what it is. And that's kind of what happens here. At least he doesn't tell us directly. Instead, what he does is he basically tells us and describes by giving an example of Mary. When he says, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I think it's interesting that the way that Jesus corrects Martha's heart is he doesn't say, stop working, stop serving. You know why? Because Jesus understands that it's not a serving problem, it's a heart problem. See, if he were to tell her at that particular point, stop serving, it wouldn't have corrected anything because she would have continued feeling self-pity and resentment. That wouldn't have stopped. This is what happens with people in churches. I really do view our church as a hospital. Many people, because they're traveling through and they come to this area for, for different reasons, whether it's military jobs, whatever it is, sometimes people will come back. And I've heard this testimony too many times. Hey, we need to come, but we need to warn you, we've been hurt by our former church. You begin to hear this work and work. We worked our finger to the bone. We did everything in that church and they didn't appreciate us or they hurt us or they did this to us and all of these sorts of things. And And unfortunately, I don't know them well enough at that particular point to go, could it be that you have become self-centered and unfocused? It's probably not the time to really usher that in at the moment. (laughs) Sometimes I've had, but that's really kind of what's going on here. He doesn't tell her that. Instead, he he goes to the heart. Uh, And here's what I think he's saying here. If I were to sum it up, I'd say, when your service becomes a duty rather than a relationship, you are in trouble you're in trouble. Again, your service to the Lord, either in the home or your service to the Lord in the church. Either way, when it becomes a duty and not an act of worship or an out of a relationship from Jesus Christ, we begin to find ourselves in all kinds of hurt. He turns to to Martha and says, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. In the Greek language, the word portion in the New Testament is almost always used to speak of a part of a meal. And so what we find here is Jesus is, it's kind of a play on words a little bit. There was two meals being fixed that day. One was by Martha in the kitchen. The other was by Jesus Christ in the living room. Probably not worked that way, but in the room. And it just so happened that Martha chose the better portion, the better meal. She chose to feed on the word of God, on his word. And so this is what he's commending. So he says, one thing is important. He says, you are, listen to this, you are distracted by many things. We could become distracted even in our serving of God and serving of the family, working at work, serving, doing all of these things that are required of us. And in the midst of it, we forget God. We forget him. We're doing it without him. We just begin to move on. And so the, the whole point here is the question is not for us, who are you more like? 
Or, or, or should we be more like Martha or Mary? Or are you a server or a sitter or a worker or a worshiper? The truth is, at the end of the day, we're all bent a little bit different. There are some that like to study more and spend a little bit more time in worship. There are others that spend a little bit more time in, in, in work and serving. We, we are different, but the truth of the matter is at the end of the day, both are important. But what is most important is a true, real affection and relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the one thing we cannot do without, but is the one thing that so many do without and so we find here in the scriptures, let me give you three points of application as we begin to wrap this up. I really preached fast today. Can you tell? I mean, we're going to get out early. Don't say amen. Don't you dare say amen. All right. <laughs> Go home and say, our pastor is a fast preacher. Anyway, all right. No, so number one, there is nothing more dangerous and damaging to our walk with the Lord and to our witness to others than working for Jesus while neglecting our personal worship of Jesus. It happens in my life, and I guarantee it happens in yours. I sit back so oftentimes going, okay, I gotta be ready for Sunday. I've gotta have this message together. People are coming, they're gonna hear the word. It's my responsibility to feed the sheep at this point. God, this is a high calling. I take it seriously. But in the midst of it, I could be so preoccupied with the doing and getting these things ready that I forgot to stop and talk and to think and to think on the person of Jesus Christ and realize I'm doing all of this out of this wonderful, vibrant relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. It's so easy to forget. And when we do, and when I do, when, when we forget, our serving becomes monotonous. It becomes wearing. It becomes exhausting. While we become self-centered and embittered towards those that we serve. Warren Wiersbe gives a great warning. He says, if serving Christ makes us difficult to live with, then something is terribly wrong with our serving. Second thing we want to give is this, is make sure that we are not simply doing acts of service in an attempt to overcompensate for our lack of time spent with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. You can't sit there and say, well, you know, I just like serving more than I like time and spending time with Jesus, so therefore I'm gonna double down on my serving and then it will make up for the time I'm not spending with Christ. It doesn't work that way. You serve all you want and you do a, a bunch of stuff for God, but if you're not with him, I guarantee it's gonna lead to a bad place. It's not good. It's not a good thing. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a husband who sits there, and sometimes you'll see this oftentimes, maybe this husband is here today who works his fingers to the bone to be able to provide for his family, and he can't figure out why in the world his wife and his kids are so discouraged with him. Have you ever seen that? He sits there, and he'll, he'll be the type. The sister says, I don't understand. I work so hard. I do everything that I possibly can for all of you at that point, and he begins to become defensive, but what he fails to see is that when he begins to defend his absence from his family, that really ultimately his family is trying to tell them, hey, we would rather you not work with us and you be with us. And sometimes Jesus Christ is saying the same exact thing. I'm not as concerned with your serving as you're just being with me, your love and your affection. You know, I had talked to somebody this last week and I got to visit some different churches and you know, churches are known for different things. Like that's the big church. That's the big church in the community or that's the cool church in the community or, or they got the cool pastor like Mercy Hill. Uh, and so, so those things happen quite often. They're just known for certain things, right? But if, if our church were to be known for anything, it wouldn't be missions, wouldn't be expository preaching, wouldn't be any of those things. And even the Great Commission, it would be that the people just love deeply Jesus Christ. 
And the reason that I say that is because when we love Jesus passionately and deeply, everything else gets done. Everything. I, you know, one of the things that we do when we're in one-on-one discipleship and we're trying to teach people how to study the word and how to pray and what their giftedness is and try to train them how to share the gospel with somebody. When we do all these things, um, I always ask in the very beginning, why did you want to go through this? Certainly your time is valuable. Why are you going and doing all these other things? And and usually they respond. uh, It's kind of like I kind of Jesus juke them. I kind of set them up to and so that's what they do. And so they, they basically sit there and say, uh, well, you know, here's the deal. I, I just want to be a better father. So I want to be a godly father. I just want to be a, a, a better dad. Uh, I just want to be a better husband, a godly husband. I want to be a better witness. I want to be able to have the words to share with other people when they're asking me, uh, you know, why I believe what I ultimately believe. And I sit back and go, excellent. That is wonderful. All those are very, very good things, but it's not why you ought to be doing this. I said, if you're going to be, you just want to pursue Jesus. You just want to know him. You want to know everything about him, pursue him and love him. And I guarantee if you do, you'll be a better father. You'll be a better husband. You'll be a better witness. All those things. That, those things do not come through a direct pursuit, but they are a byproduct of a life that is affectionate about the person of Jesus Christ. And so we, we find here in next number three, uh, we can't do everything. So therefore we must choose the thing that most matters, that most matters. If I were to ask you today, why is it that you don't spend any time alone with the Lord, getting in the word? And, and, and here's the crazy part. It's easier than it's ever been before. Would you agree? It's everywhere. You can download sermons from pastors all over the place. You can listen to the Bible on tape. I mean, while you're driving, there's, there's so many things that are, that are at your access or accessible to you to be able to do. It's amazing that we don't, but yet people will still at the end of the day will say that I'm just too busy to, to spend time with the Lord. And I would agree, if you don't have time to spend with the Lord, then you are indeed too busy, too busy. And I would say that you can't afford, you think you can't afford to spend that time with him. I'm telling you, you can't afford not to. Your family can't afford for you not to spend time with Christ. You're, 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 the people around you, lost people, cannot afford you not spending time and making sure that this thing is not a duty, but it is indeed a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we find this in the word. I, 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 love, um, I love Jesus' words to to the church at Ephesus, a church that just was doing everything right. He says to him, he says in chapter two, beginning in verse two, Revelation, Jesus says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know. How many of you feel that way right now? Believe it or not, that there are wives here and there are husbands here that feel this way at home. I'm reminded that there are family members, husbands and wives that are this close to be able to just walk away from the whole thing. And they look back and they're gonna say, look how much I've done. I was faithful. I did everything. I did this, I did that. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, what is ultimately is that person has become distracted somewhere down the line. I could tell you that that person spends little to no time in true 
honest fellowship with Jesus, just learning to love him. You know what I need to do? One of the challenges for me is being in the word to teach is not to allow the time that I'm in the word just simply to be the word because I'm preparing something to be able to write, but rather just to be able to sit back and go, God, I don't need anything of you. I just need you. I'm just gonna learn about you. Some things I'm gonna learn about that I'm not even gonna share with anything else. It's just gonna be between us. And that affection begins to grow. And you know what begins to happen? What begins to happen is what happened earlier as we were singing here. And I turned to Pastor Dan and I just said, we are truly unbelievably blessed to be a part of leading this congregation. It's unbelievable. And what I'm saying is a husband or a wife or a person who's working in the church, when they are not distracted, when their focus is on the person of Jesus Christ, that which they are doing grudgingly becomes once again, an act of joy because our focus is back on the person of Jesus Christ. And why do we do it all to begin with? Can, can we just be clear? We're not doing it to earn right standing before God, are we? No, it's because we've been given right standing before God. When you and I fact that we should burn in hell for all eternity and we are deserving of it, yet God in his great pleasure and in his great grace chose out of that wrath and, and, and infused in us uh, an ability to believe in him, gave us the gift of belief, of faith, of saving faith, and that we now believe because of him, that we begin to sit back and we begin to think on those things and we begin to think, what a mighty God we serve. How wonderful you are, how great you are. And then there's a side of what he's done for us. But then as we begin to read the scriptures, we begin to find out, Lord, if you had done nothing for us, you would still be worthy of praise because of who you are. And when you get lost in that, your service to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors in your church becomes far more fabulous, far more fabulous. And it's all because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and God, I just pray for those who are weary, those who are tired, those who are, Lord, really self-centered at this point, really beginning to sulk and to feel sorry for themselves in the midst of all of these things. God, draw them back. God, let this be a, a church that is not interested in just mere outward exercises of right doing, but rather, God, instead, what we would do is that we would return again, as, as he says, return, Lord, to our first love. Return back to you. Just take a pause and go, wait a minute. Ask yourself this, this morning, am I having a relationship with Jesus? Am I, am I just seeking him for no reason? Just for him, just to know him. Have I set that time aside? Beloved, you must set that time aside. And here's gonna be the difficulty, Lord, I know. The difficulty is people are gonna look at this as being one more thing that they have to do and that's not it. One thing is necessary and that's us to personally pursue you. Let us put that above all else in your precious name we pray, amen.